Dr. Cox. Well, good morning. It is so good to be with you today. It is a privilege to be able to preach in this pulpit. I think highly of your pastor. He and I have had an opportunity to serve together on Erskine's Board of Trustees and wear that same t-shirt. When he asked if I would preach on this particular Sunday, it did not dawn on me that this would be the Sunday that our government steals an hour from us. That's not a very Christian thing to do, but they do a lot of things that are not very Christian. And um, maybe if I would have just been paying a little more attention, I probably would have said, how about March the 19th? Uh, But here we are, and I am grateful that you've joined with us this day and see some familiar faces, of course, Marguerite and Sterling Dunlap, they are Anderson Institutions, and uh, just a great joy uh, to be with you and here in Anderson, our hometown. I'm going to take my watch off. Uh, When I was a young man, a younger man, I was influenced by Bob Markerell. He was a man that God used greatly in my life to um, give me the confidence to go forward in Christian ministry and the pastorate. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. If, how many of you know Bob Markerell, Preacher Bob? There's a few hands that might would go up. But Preacher Bob sometimes would take his watch off and he would place it on the pulpit and he would say, Guys, you know what this means. And it means absolutely nothing. So keep that in mind as we work together through God's Word today. But let's pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you are our King of glory and grace. And so we gather to praise your name and to sing adoration to you that that we belong to you. That Christ has died and rose and because of that our names are graven on his hands. We come admitting that we are totally dependent upon you for everything to understand the word before us today. So we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit and that you would teach us that you would strengthen us, that you would change our hearts increasingly to look like Christ, in whose name we pray and God's people said, Amen. This morning I want to talk about, preach about, speak about hope. It's hard to go into a convenience store. It's not common to go into a convenience store today and and not be confronted as you go to pay for that candy bar or that tank of gas, lottery tickets. Our, our nation spends, our people in our nation spend about $82 billion a year purchasing lottery tickets. And, and one of the reasons for that, I would argue, is for that very word, hope. Why do hundreds of thousands of people enter our country each year, some legally, some illegally? Again, an argument could be made they do so because of hope. Hope propels the direction of our lives. How many of you have said something like this recently? I hope he isn't mad at me. I hope she isn't mad at me. I hope the doctor finds nothing on that test. I hope the weather is nice this weekend. I have a lot of work I need to do in the yard. 
I hope that, that Clemson doesn't blow the lead in this game. We say things like that regularly, don't even think about it. To be human is to be one who hopes. You attach your security, you attach your sense of peace, your sense of well-being to something every day. The question isn't whether or not you hope. The question is, what holds your hope? Without rock-solid hope, a life can go off the rails very quickly. And without hope, a strong cup of coffee won't get you going in the morning. Paul opens, we're going to see, his first letter to the young man Timothy with a word about hope. It's not just a wishful thinking hope. It is real hope. It is the absolute best hope. Timothy has been assigned to a tough task at a church in Ephesus. This Ephesian church was under duress. False teachers were wreaking havoc among the ranks. And you'll notice as we read here in a moment that Paul doesn't write, Timothy, oh boy, hope for the best. Rather, Timothy, you have the best hope that one can have for this assignment. So let's read it together from 1 Timothy in chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. This is the word of God for the people of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, in Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The Christian's hope is not the same as the world's hope. The world's hope can be defined as an I hope so hope. I hope this job works out. If you're a student, I hope the final exam is easy. The world's hope is a wishful thinking. It's uncertain. The world's hope is pessimistically defined by the little boy who quipped, hope is wishing for something you know ain't going to happen. Like Clemson basketball making it to the championship game of the ACC tournament. We know deep down, we hope, but we know deep down it's not going to happen. It ain't going to happen. And so the world says, I hope this happens. I hope that will happen. It's the type of hope that drives things like the lottery system in so many states. Christian hope is of a different variety. It's the difference between hope sure versus hope so. It's been said that the believer's hope is the anticipation of good. It's deeper than optimism. Optimism is the tendency to believe that things are going to turn out well. Hope comes from somewhere else. That means that biblical hope is a gift. It's the conviction that in God your life and your efforts have meaning no matter how the situation turns out. Rico Tice describes biblical hope as the joyful expectation of the future. The, Richard, uh, the Puritan Richard Sibbs has an interesting description of hope, noting that the nature of hope is to expect that which faith believes. 
the nature of hope, again, is to expect that which faith believes. And so keep that in mind as we work our way through the text. Functionally, what does your faith believe about God? It's going to work itself out in hope. And again, we live in a world that hopes for the best. But Jesus Christ offers the best hope. And so what type of, of hope does God, do God's people enjoy? That's what I want us to see in our text this morning. What type of hope, Christian, do you have on this rainy sun, uh, Sunday morning here in Anderson? Well, the first thing I want us to see is that our hope, the Christian's hope, is a living hope. It's a living hope. Notice what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Why is the Christian's hope marked by joyful expectation? It is because Jesus Christ is alive. This Apostle Paul was commissioned by the living Jesus himself. Paul wasn't an apostle because he attended the best rabbinical schools. He wasn't an apostle because he studied under the, the, the right rabbi, under this man or that man. Paul was made an apostle, we read, by the command of God in his encounter with the living Jesus on that Damascus road. And so he's writing to Timothy. We have good reason to believe that Timothy by nature was a, something of a timid soul. And so he was, he was prone to being pushed around a bit by those within the church. And Timothy needs to be reminded that his authority ultimately comes from the living Jesus Christ himself. It's as if Paul is writing to Timothy and saying, Timothy, you were being sent on a tough assignment, yes, but you were being sent ultimately by Christ. He is with you. He is at work in you. He is on the scene before you arrive. And so, Timothy, remember that your hope is living. And Christian, if Jesus is living in your heart today, then you too have a living hope. And because that, and because that Jesus is alive, we can sing to the top of our lungs, strength for today and, and bright hope for tomorrow. Blessings are all mine with 10,000 beside. That is a living hope. And you say, well, Stacy, that's true. It's all true. And, but I wish you knew about the challenges that I'm facing today. These are challenges that I could never have predicted six months ago, a year ago. Perhaps you're standing on, on ground that feels as though it's giving way. And you can relate to Paul and, and his experience in Asia in a way that maybe you never have before where where Paul wrote that we were so utterly beyond, burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. In other words, we thought that we would never live through it, is what Paul is saying there. And so what do I do when the, when the ground feels as though it's giving way? Remember the goodness of God. Remember that the tomb is empty. And you hear those sandaled feet walking in your midst. 
Those sandaled feet belong to your risen Savior. Isaiah described him as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And did not Jesus fulfill all of those? Wonderful counselor. He comforts our hearts with the promises and the truth of the gospel. Mighty God, he calms life storms. Prince of Peace, he died on the cross to secure that peace. And then everlasting Father, the one who died, rose again and is living. And if he fulfilled Isaiah 9, will he not fulfill the promise of making all things new in the new creation? He never fails to keep his promises. You may think, but the loss, Stacy, you don't understand my loss. You don't understand the ache of my heart. You don't understand the hurt. Where do I turn? What do I look to? And again, friend, look to the resurrection. If you wonder where it's all headed, sometimes we wonder, where is all of this headed? Where is this world headed? Where is my life headed? Look at the resurrection. That's where it's headed. J.R.R. Tolkien wrote the following about a place called heaven. This is what he said. There is a place called heaven where the good here unfinished is completed. And where the stories unwritten and the hopes unfulfilled are continued, we may laugh together yet. Are you turning to him for hope? In other words, with your hope, are you going vertical? We're going to go one of two places as we search for hope. We're going to go vertical or we're going to go horizontal. And let's confess together today that it is so easy to go horizontal. We all do it. We all place our things, our hope on things in this, fall, in this fallen world that simply, they simply just can't deliver. Your spouse can't make you happy. It doesn't matter how many toys you buy, how many toys you collect. Ultimately, those toys we know cannot bring ultimate contentment. And neither can your job. You remember what Jesus said. He said, look up. Look up. Raise your heads. Why? Because your redemption draws near. James Smith was Charles Spurgeon's predecessor. At New Park Street Chapel in London in the middle of the 19th century. And he wrote the following about looking up to Jesus. What looking up to Jesus will do for you. He says, looking up to Jesus will keep the head from swimming. It will keep the heart from sinking. The knees from trembling. The feet from slipping. And the hands from hanging down. So look up to Jesus. We have a living hope. And let's keep our eyes from drifting to the world's poor substitutes. So that's the first mark of the hope of the Christian. It is a living hope. Notice also that our hope is a resourced hope. It's a resourced hope. What can Timothy expect from God to accomplish the work that he's been called to do? It's a tough assignment in Ephesus. What can he expect? How can he expect God to provide for him? Well, notice there, 
He's going to give him all the grace and all the mercy and all the peace to do the job. Well, what can you expect God to provide you for the work that you've been called to do, for the assignment that he's laid upon your life? It's the same thing. Grace, mercy, and peace. Think back over your life. Recount that moment when you were up to your eyeballs in worry, crushed by disappointment. Did you not receive grace and mercy and peace? Is that not what heaven's storehouse poured out on you? Timothy was to confront influential men within the Ephesian church. Now, they were wreaking havoc with their teaching. Yeah, that's what he's talking about, Paul, there in verses 3 through 7. We see there in, in, in verse 18 of chapter 1 that Paul challenges Timothy, this timid Timothy, to fight the good fight. And anticipating uh, Timothy's, maybe his timid responses, his reservation to what's going on around him. Again, Paul is reminding him, Timothy, Jesus is with you. Jesus' work is at work in you. He's going to give you all you need to accomplish the assignment at Ephesus, to do these things. All that you need. Your pastor, Pastor Campbell, was, was talking about our calling to Gainesville to plant this new church. We have planted two churches before, and I have said more than once in my life, I will never do it again. I'll never do it again. And there are moments when I step back and I think to myself, how in the world, oh God, can I do this at 51 years of age? Planting churches is a young man's game. How can I do this? Is there anything I could do for you in Africa? You feel so inadequate. And when I'm honest with myself, more often than not, I would rather be planting myself in front of a TV watching a football game or in a baseball stadium or, or on a fishing boat. You think, well, where do I start? How, how do I work myself? How do I get myself into the lives of the people of this community that drive past you every day in a hurry? Stacy, my grace and my mercy and my peace are sufficient for you. But, oh God, what if it fails? What if the plant fails? Well, what if it succeeds? But even if it doesn't succeed, my grace and my mercy and my peace are sufficient for you. The Bible promises. He who did not spare his own son. But delivered him up for us all. How will he not also with him. Freely give us all things. So what are you facing today? What are you being called to today? What are you being confronted by today. That fills your heart with fear. We live in a broken world. 
We're broken people. What, what fills your heart with fear? Maybe it is a, a new job. Or maybe it's confronting that friend or that relative that is awash in sin and their sin is wreaking havoc in their life and in the lives of others. And so God has laid it upon your heart to confront this person. What are you going to do? Are you going to engage? Are you going to escape? Are you going to flee? Well, consider the words of Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot was certainly a, a woman that was acquainted with difficulty, with tough assignments, with fear. She said this, Sometimes the fear does not subside, and one must choose to do it afraid. Sometimes the fear doesn't go away. And you have to choose to do it afraid. Do it afraid, believing in the character of God. Trusting in His promises. Trusting that He will deliver on His promises. And so you do those things even when you do it afraid. Why is God your God today, Christian? Why are you your God? Can you say that God is my God, not because I wear a happy face every day, not because I say all the right things, not because I make all the right decisions. That is, those are, that's not why God is your God. God is your God because God is a God of grace and mercy and peace. You can know this, whatever God has placed in your path, whatever it may be, because He is your God, all the power of the universe is in your corner. Ali had Angelo Dundee in his corner. Mike Tyson had Cus Diamato in his corner. The greatest heavyweight of all time, Rocky Balboa had Mickey in his corner. And Christian, you have the king of kings, the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God in your corner. Christ lives in you. Christ lives for you. Christ is with you. The hope of glory is in your corner. And so you don't have to rise each morning and hope for the best. Because Christian in Christ, you have the best hope. And finally, not only do we have a living hope and a researched hope, notice that our hope is an eternal hope. It's an eternal hope. Our hope as followers of Jesus, our hope is anchored in the eternal Godhead. It is anchored in God our Savior. That's what Paul says. Paul, an apostle of of Christ Jesus by command of God our Savior. The one who is your Savior, Timothy, is King of the ages. Immortal, invisible, the only God. And what was true for Timothy, what was true for Paul, what was true for Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, what was true for all the apostles, is true for you. It's true for you. Do you ever stop and, and just ponder the wonder of the gospel? 
we had the, the opportunity to attend Outreach North America's Church Planners Retreat this past week down in Destin, Florida, suffering, suffering, suffering greatly for Jesus in Destin, Florida. You're down in that beautiful part of the world and, and you see that sunset. And you swim in the Gulf of Mexico, swim in the ocean. Or maybe you're a mountain person and you hike that mountain. Do you ever stop to think that the God who painted that sunset or crafted that mountain or poured the water in that ocean, that very God had you in his sights before he did any of those things, before he did any of it. That's the truth of scripture. That's the truth of the gospel that you have been chosen, that you were set apart. Paul told those same Ephesians, listen, Christians, before he made the world, God loved and chose you in Christ. That is your Savior God. And the question I have for you this morning is, do you know that Savior God? Is he your Savior God? He sent his son to die for sinners like you and like me. And to, to attempt to live life without him is to do life on a treadmill. King Solomon said, trying to live life without God is like this. Generations come and generations go. The sun rises, the sun sets, days come, days go. The wind blows, it has this repetitive course thing that it's doing. It blows and it swirls. Life is always on the move, but, but never really arriving. And then comes death. And so if you are without God, then you're without hope. Because when you die, Solomon says, you'll soon be forgotten. But if you're without Christ, it's, it gets worse. You'll not only be forgotten, you'll spend eternity in hell. Why? Because by nature you suppress the truth. By nature you're at war with God. What a dismal, dismal prospect. And so can you, like Timothy... And like Paul, can you say this morning that God is your Savior? That's the, most that's the most pressing question that confronts any man, any woman today in this place or any other place on planet Earth. Is God your Savior? And what would prevent you from giving yourself to Him today if not? What would stop you from turning to his son and embracing the gift of eternal life as offered in Christ, as offered in the gospel and following him? That's how you have living hope, a resourced hope, an eternal hope. Well, we know that Easter is quickly approaching. It's hard to believe that. Again, time marches on. That's Solomon's point there. Easter is quickly approaching. Many, many people, this church and other churches, and feeling anxious, experiencing pressures that they have perhaps never experienced, never known, or regretting decisions that they've made over the last year. They will be wondering, where will things be? What will be the state of things six months from now, nine months from now, a year from now? People will not be gathering 
that morning to say, the stock market has risen. It has risen indeed. The value of 401ks have risen. They have risen in indeed. Gross domestic product, GDP, it has risen. It has risen indeed. No one will be gathering that morning to say that. There's one hope for the last 2,000 years that has permeated across continents and cultures in times of difficulty, in times of disease, in times of pain and hardship and even death itself. And that is Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. We say that every Sunday when we gather. So brothers and sisters, let the world hope for the best. We have Jesus. We have the best hope. And let's be ready to share that best hope with those that God places in our path each and every day, even today. Even today. For He is the only hope for sinful men and the only hope for disheartened saints. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, we so quickly place our hope in things in a, in a fallen world that simply can't deliver. When our hopes disappoint, it's a sign that we're hoping in the wrong things. And so please press it into our hearts today that hope isn't a position. It's not a location. It's not, it's not anything like that. It is you. You alone are our living hope, our eternal hope, the one who provides all the grace and the mercy and the peace we need. And so work that truth deep into the hearts of your people, we pray. And we pray it in your name. Amen.